this time on The Real Generation Gap. Why do you think it's tied to conspiracy theories? Why do you think it's like such a... Because uh, a vast amount of the population, this is too much for them to handle. A lot of people would possibly be offended by this movie. Boy, what weak, weak, sad, sorry people they must be. <laughs> In the movie, you didn't get any like racist tones at all. I felt racist. <laughs> Hello, welcome to The Real Generation Gap. My name is Shane Schildmeyer. I'm Fred Satoli. And I'm special guest BJ Kang. And today we're reviewing another one of Fred's great recommendations, The Man Who Would Be King. Before we dive into this review, please give us a like, comment, and a subscription would be great. Let's get right into it. Okay. So, yeah, I think this is a, a, great, a great adventure movie. It's a great movie written in a time when the Freemasons... Mm -hmm. We're doing an amazing thing in an amazing place. So, okay, I have a question for you, for both of you guys. So, we know the Freemasons are real. We know that they've done a lot throughout the history of man. Mm -hmm. Why are they like tied to conspiracy theories, and like why is it such like a hush hush thing, especially like in movies and stuff? Like, I don't, you know, this this is tied to the overall belief that there are like secret organizations or there's like a shadow government behind our presenting governments that sort of control everything. It's tied to that bigger theory of like wait wait it's not a theory. Don't don't say it that. Yeah, that's way. what I'm saying. If, if we terrible. if we accept that uh -huh. it's happened in history, yeah, why is uh -huh. it a theory? Why is it tied to conspiracy? Yeah, there's no there's no conspiracy theory mm -hmm. here. There these organizations, Islam is real. Mm -hmm. The Jews are real. The Masons are real. Skull and Bones is real. Mm -hmm. These things are all real, right? Mm -hmm. And these things and these things, you know, international banking interests, mm -hmm. they control governments worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like we like it's the, it's it's in this movie. It was in Killers of the Flower Moon. Right. So why, why, why is it tied to conspiracy theories? Why do you think, Fred? Why do you think it's tied to conspiracy theories? Why do you think it's like such a... Because uh, a vast amount of the population, this is too much for them to handle. They want to think that, you know, all priests are trustworthy, all police are trustworthy. If they pay their college loans, they'll get a better job. There are that's people that true. just want to march <laughs> through. <laughs> that's definitely not true. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the generation gap, you know? You know, they had... One of those guys, one of those guys, I think it was the Gurkha, you know? Yeah. Had, had he managed to stay alive today, his college loan would almost be paid off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People, um, the, the people who are in power right right now, they don't, they don't want to admit that there's other powerful organizations. So they, oh, they're not real. They're not real. They're mm. not real. This isn't real. That's not real. But mm. those things, the Ku Klux Klan was real. That was a nation. Mm -hmm. That was a vast amount of lunatic people. Mm -hmm who had an idea that they wanted to perpetuate and, and until they were pretty much crushed now. Yeah, but is that what Sean Connery's character is really doing here? It seems like in the movie he sort of become he's just a con man. He sort of becomes deluded by illusions of grandeur, just sort of gets swept away. It doesn't necessarily seem he's promoting any sort of idea. He's a con man who finds himself in the spoiled he's riches. He's not a mason. Rudyard Kipling was the mason. He and Kane and Connery were just two mercenaries. They were just adventurers. But what happened to him was he made a contract and they were doing the contract. They intended to go there, gain power, rob the treasury and run. Mm -hmm. But he got seduced. He was seduced. He said in the movie, we could take this money, go back to England, be millionaires. But if we go back as a king, we'll be on the same par as the queen. Mm -hmm. And the seduction of that was too much for him. You know, you know what Oscar Wilde said, right? 
I can resist anything but temptation. Um, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit yeah. more about the, the casting. So I, I've always known Sean Connery. My dad was always talking about Sean Connery, always doing the accent when I grew up. Uh, Michael Caine, I was known Michael Caine, but I've actually only seen both these gentlemen in like two movies. Sean Connery in um, Indiana Jones. And League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is one of my favorite movies that's super it, underrated. Phenomenal movie. You yeah. like that movie? Yeah, I love, I love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. And then uh, Michael Caine, I've actually only seen him in Batman off that I can think of. So it was really cool to see them, you know, in their younger days. It's so good I'm bringing this yeah. to you. This was, it's so, this is to cool. everybody out there, yeah. please watch these movies. They're masterpieces. I don't bring them to you because I like them. I bring them to you because they're great. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. So it was really cool to see them in their younger acting, you know. Oh, and, yeah. uh, I thought it, I thought they were both great in these roles. Now, th this guy here, Karum Ben, uh, I can't even pronounce it. This guy was 100 years old when oh, they man. made this movie. Really? And he was a night watchman at a vineyard. Really? And they took him and they said, look, you're really a cool guy. He was just there, right? They really? filmed this in Morocco. Mm -hmm. This was in Morocco where he was, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't really in the Khyber Pass. Mm -hmm. So... They get this guy, and they said, we want you to do this acting job and everything. He said, okay. And every day they were looking at him. They're going, this guy is exhausted. He's fallen asleep on his feet. He was continuing to be the night watchman. That's crazy. So he was on the set all day, and then he was watching the vineyard all night. After a while, they said, look, you, you can stop watching the vineyard. You're, yeah. you know, we're putting you in a movie. But, um, yeah, that's amazing that they found that guy. Another thing is that the actor for Utah, he was actually like a prominent actor during that time in Indian television and Indian film. And another thing that's really cool is that uh, the actress for Roxanne, that's Michael Caine's wife. In real life. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They convinced cool. her They convinced her to take over the role because they were looking. Uh, the story goes Michael Caine and the director were having dinner and Roxanne... Uh, so, uh, Shakira Kane was there and they there originally was another actress and they wanted to go with someone who looked more alike the the region yes, of course yeah yeah and they sort of just core uh they sort of just convinced uh was it Shakira Kane to just take the role of Michael and John Huston that was one of her few acting jobs and I thought she did a decent job and a, and a few years and a few uh, weeks ago when we did this you asked me if Women my age were attractive to me. Look at that beautiful woman. Look at her. Look at her. I like her better there than there. Yeah. I mean, you know, at my age, mm -hmm. you know, I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, wow, what an exotic knockout, right? <laughs> now, here's something. I don't know. You're pretty good at all this stuff. I don't know if you realize this. Sean Connery met his wife in Morocco during the film of this, and he was married to her his whole life till he died. Yeah, so that, that's, that was an interesting thing. Those young men, he went to Morocco. She was a French painter. Morocco was a French colony. It definitely makes a lot of sense then, because in later interviews, Michael Caine and Sean Connery both say that this was one of the funnest films that they ever worked on. They said out of all the films that they had ever done, this was their favorite. And John Huston also. Really? The director, yeah. But yeah. anyway, the interesting things about those women. The other woman who was interesting of note in this movie is Edith Head. And Edith Head did the costumes. Now... Did you look at how many costumes were in that movie? There, yeah, there were so very many. large casts. And and look at the costumes. Look at the, I mean, one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when they're leading their their like war procession. Like they're all the tribes that they've conquered. They're leading them on to the next city, and it's this huge grand shot, this huge sort of pan out yes. shot. 
and yeah. they're all wearing like like these colorful, vibrant, different like outfits and stuff like that. And yeah, all their tribal colors. Yeah, right. It's whatever dye they can make with the elements around them. Yeah, and the costume design was pretty accurate. They're all wearing sandals, and you know, that's Edith a- Head was nominated, I believe, thirty times and uh, won eight Oscars. So as a costume, I, I actually recognized her name in the credits at the end. I went, wow, no one. Then, then immediately you think of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you watch the movie and you don't think about the editing so much. Then you see who the editor is and oh my God. Now, in addition to the costumes, the music. The Minstrel Boy, uh, when I was a child, we learned these songs, right? Yeah, it, it, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a very sad song. A boy who should not be going to war. He's, he's conscripted to go to war, and he has to put on his father's sword. It's a marching song? What's that? Is it a, is it a marching song? No, it's a dirge. It's, it's a, a dirge. Song. Okay. It's, it's not a martial music. It's okay. Not, it's not military music. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll just, the first verse, I'll just read it. Okay. The minstrel boy, right? He's a singer. He's a minstrel, right? The minstrel boy to the war has gone. In the ranks of death, you'll find him. His father's sword he hath girded on. You know what a girder is, right? And his wild harp slung behind him. His past, his musical past is slung behind him, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because you were talking about what gives people the right to do things. The final verse, they say, and said, No chains shall sully thee, thou soul of love and bravery. Thy songs were made for pure and free. They shall never sound in slavery. Mm. So slavery was a big issue at that time. And the British, one of the reasons that they were elite was because they didn't have slavery. They were one of the first countries to not have that. They outlawed that, That's right? That's true. So that, that stuff, those sentiments, seeing that throughout the movie, and you see at the end of the movie, Connery is out on the, out on the great big bridge. Oh, is that... <laughs> Is that the song they're singing the yeah. whole time? They're singing the Minstrel Boy the whole time. Okay, that just, but when just he go- clicked in my head. When he, goes, when he goes out on the thing, I'm he like, realizes he's going to die now, right? Now, he's a mercenary. He's born to die. He's going to fight to the death. When Connery gets out there and the jig is up, right, he's going to have his dignity. His chest is out, and he sings, The Son of God Goes Forth to War. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he's saying he's the son of God. He's divine. He claims the status as they're going to kill him. That's that's actually that's pretty good. That's a pretty funny uh, allusion to earlier in the film. At first, he sings it following you know he's blind, he's donkey. It's just a song to him. But he stands there at the face of death triumphantly, and he says, "The son of God goes to war." And it's no longer because I'm guessing that's based off of like uh, the Christian. Uh, ideas, right? Yeah. yeah. But in when he at the next time he sings that, he's not talking about Christ. He's talking about himself. He's fully immersed into his role as the son of a seconder. That's why we have you here. Yeah. That's a really cool comment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just just a side note on the Gurkhas, in, incredible fighters. You know, real martial art, practically wizards, super tough, fight to the death, totally dedicated, totally loyal, like a samurai, but way different. Mm-hmm. So... The fact that in the movie, once again, things written in the late 1800s mm-hmm. and in filmed in 1975, they included the Gurkha. When he meets them, he comes out, he says, oh, oh hold your fire, hold your, I'm a Gurkha, right? I'm like, wow. 
He's the, he's the one that comes out and talks to him. That's definitely one of the things I really appreciate about the film, especially like in terms of costume, in terms of like the plot is like it it, it pays credence to the historical era that it's, it play, it plays in. I mean, those costumes, the British uh, uniforms that uh, that Sean Connery and Michael Caine wear and, and the Gurkha's uniform, it, it looks great. It's just as a huge history buff, I found myself really loving that. And they kept them after they went over the Alps. Mm-hmm. They brought the guns and the ammo and their uniforms mm-hmm. as they as they went on that incredible walk. I mean, when they got trapped in the giant snow chasm and they had the mm-hmm. avalanche and everything, they kept that stuff. Mm-hmm. They kept true to the cause. The contract was there, and they were they were on mission. They were going to go out there, find the place, and the two of them alone were going to conquer that place. Mm-hmm. The ambition of it—it's phenomenal. <laughs> It's a fantastic adventure story. Yeah, BJ, do you think this movie holds up today? You think it, you think it could be better remade? You think it holds up today, or you think it's just not not meant to last? I think I think it's a beautiful uh, was it, it's a beautiful period piece for the time that it portrays. But I think that if they're going to remake it today, it would lose some of the magic that it it sort of captured when it was made in the 1970s, mm-hmm. like. Especially going on by like you know how my generation and people of my generation would sort of view that sort of movie. A lot of people would possibly be offended by this movie. Boy, what weak, weak, sad, sorry people they must be. <laughs> you know, I, I loved it when they used expressions when they were found out that they were frauds. Kane mm-hmm. turns to Connery and he goes, "We're found out. Brass it out. Brass it out." Right, so that's bold as brass. Mm-hmm. They're going to put their chin up, their chest out, and walk mm-hmm. through that crowd like they have every right to do that, and they're in the right. That they're they're, they're faking them, they're head faking them. But the high priest is not having it, and he commands a whole bunch of them to chase him. Yeah. But that's the first thing they try. He says, "Brass it out," right? Mm-hmm. Bold as brass. They're gonna they're gonna try, they're gonna walk out of there with their held held high. It, the, the the amount of dignity in this movie is fantastic. You know, I think people that offend it are undignified. I, I mean, you're right. I mean, the term brass it out, that's a very, like, machismo thing, definitely say, from that era. You don't really find that kind of expression or even maybe that sort of demeanor today. Like, if a movie like this was to be remade, remade today, it would lose that magic. It would sort of lose that sort of historical context that sometimes just needs to be preserved the way it is. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree. I think you're spot on with that. Mm-hmm. Spot on with that. Now to be like, oh, my lawyer, you know, go, ah. you know, so yeah, so I don't have too much more to say about it. If you if you have a, a final opinion or whatever. Or, no, know, so I, I'm going to be a what I'm, I'm guessing Fred gives us a 10. You know, <laughs> you know something? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's another flawless movie. There's not a thing wrong. Yeah. There's not a miscast person. There's not a cheap line in it or bad writing or yeah. anything. It's I think so it, great. I think it's interesting you call it an adventure story. I kind of see it as a bromance. You know, these two guys go into an adventure together. They build their bond. So, well, they kind of already have a bond, and they build on that bond. And there's no real love interest. Yeah, he has the wife, but there's no there's no connection between them. There's no real, you know. Oh, the wife is only to create yeah, an yeah, heir yeah, because he exactly. thinks he's the king now. I think it's kind of more of a bromance he story than anything. He got seduced. Connery got seduced. The two guys, they, they had that bond. Yeah. They had the contract. They had a witness-signed contract. At the end, when Connery broke the contract, that's when their strength, as the dynamic duo, that's when their strength faltered. That's mm. true. Right? And he even asked for forgiveness. When they were surrounded by the guys and they're running out of ammo, he says, I, 
I, I want you to accept my apology for breaking the contract and, and you know, going off this thing. And he said, I can do that, and I do. I, I forgive you for this or whatever. Peachy, I'm heartily ashamed for getting you killed instead of going home rich like you deserve to on account of me being so bleeding high and bloody mighty. Can you forgive me? That I can, and that I do, Danny. So at the end, when Michael Caine comes back and he's talking to the guy, like, and drops the head off. Spoiler. It's an old movie. Get over it. When when that happens, uh, how long has it been since? The years. Been years him, trying to get him, back. Right. And he and he kept Connery's head with <laughs> yeah. the crown on it because you saw how de de yeah, de decayed was, and everything yeah. it was, right? But But he wanted to show the witness that he had stayed faithful to the contract. Mm -hmm. It was it was a matter of pride. That's lame. And, and <laughs> that's lame. Why would you go you, back? In Why your would you go life, back? if you, you just survive, this is what, all this is what I'm saying about the dignity <laughs> of this thing. But Shh. you keep saying, I'm sorry to cut you off. You keep saying there's a lot of dignity. In the beginning of the movie, you didn't get any like racist tones at all. I felt racist. <laughs> the way they looked at the, I'm assuming they were Indian in India or something. They, the way that they, yes. they talked to them and, and treated them and looked at them and the comments that they were saying in the beginning of the movie was pretty, pretty to harsh. To totally. Me. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It, this yeah. wasn't now. These guys were conquerors. They were yes. mercenaries. They were killers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, they, they had this feeling. They so thought they were better than everybody. Do you think that's dignified to they act went, that way? They went before the authority, right? They had a commanding officer that they marched yeah. into the office side by side in a military style. And he yeah, said, but you keep it's people like us who made this empire. Yeah. It's rascals and scallywags or whatever, whatever he said, yeah. like us. There is a specific <laughs> line which I think raised my eyebrows the most in which they're looking at, they're looking at some of the Kafiristan women and... Sean Connery is looking over at them and he's just and he, he he tells Michael Caine he just goes oh I'm just looking and then he says boil them in hot water for a couple hours and they'll be like chicken and ham uh, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart from Gaff uh, Gaffredi's girls or whatever sounds like right out of a rap song to me <laughs> sounds right you know this is why and this is part of like why I say some people might be offended like some people oh my, my age would be offended oh by my it God. Yeah. I'm not necessarily offended by it but I'm, I don't think it's full of dignity like you keep saying it, it definitely also they are they have a level of dignity that you can't even understand yeah i can't no <laughs> you're right no. about that yeah <laughs> yeah they do they're they're yeah. no they're, overall i did like this movie i did like it um it was entertaining um i don't think the music was as great as you made it to be because i had never heard of any of that stuff but uh i enjoyed it and uh, i'm gonna give it a seven I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good coming from you. How about you, BJ? I would give it an eight. I was not. Mm -hmm. I was also not super in love with the whole narrative structure of Michael Caine sort of um, narrating a past event that already happened. I thought the twist at the end was very cool. I wish I had me a bro who would carry around my skull after I died and told people I was a king. That would be amazing. Yeah, see, that's so lame. Like, <laughs> that's dude, lame. That's so lame. Like, bro, you just survived. Go home. Like, what are you oh doing? Oh my god, go, go home, such a millennial go point. home, take a shower. <laughs> you know like, he's that? all dirty. Go, he's like, like Dorothy, I made of the, it. Dorothy of the Wizard yeah. of Oz wanted to go home. That's the yeah. last person that wanted to go home, but right? Dude showed up all dirty. His eyes will be like, go to the doctor, go get something to eat, take a shower, he then did. bring your head to the homie. Like, that <laughs> makes no like, it's corny, it's lame. No, that's the first, that's like the first thing he but, did, but but that's the dignity, right. <laughs> 
He you had know, to do it first thing when he got back. I got to take wow. the head. This is, the, this is to why the millennials can't keep jobs. They don't have a follow through. They got to follow. You got to follow through. He he followed. He he did he did what he he did what he had to do to compl- for his own dignity yeah. for his own dignity. He had to yeah. conclude that chapter of his life, and then he said to Roger Kimpling, "Okay, I I got to get going now. Yeah. I have business down south." So what there is to tell. I'll be on my way now, sir. I've got urgent business in the south. I have to meet a man at Melbourne Junction. Anyways, I'm a seven. I'm an eight. He's an eight. And a ten. Ten here. That's been a review of The Man Who Would Be King. I'm Shane Schuldmeyer. Fred Satilli. BJ Kang. Thank you, BJ. Thanks for coming BJ. on. Thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for watching The Real Generation Gap. Please, again, like, comment, subscribe. Leave us a comment. Let us know. Was this movie a little racist? <laughs> Let oh us know God. if this movie was full of dignity. What do you think of the Freemasons? Is it a, is a conspiracy? Is it real? Let us know in the comments. We'll catch you guys at the next one. Take care.